Welcome to the 48th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. A few years ago, Ryan and Christine Jepson had what some might call an idyllic lifestyle. They were living out west near a national forest, fully immersed in the great outdoors they loved so much. But something was missing. A nagging desire to farm brought them back to their native Midwest, where they decided to raise livestock using sustainable production methods. They ended up in northeast Iowa, near where Ryan attended college. They had learned the basics of raising cattle while out west, and it didn't take them long to start marketing grass-fed beef directly to consumers. But the Jepsons knew that if they were to truly make a serious go of it in farming, they needed to bone up on such things as business planning and marketing. On the advice of a neighboring farmer, the Jepsons took the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings course. LSP's Farm Beginnings, which began its second decade in 2008, is a program in which established farmers and other ag professionals provide insights into low-cost, sustainable methods of farming. The course provides workshops on goal setting, financial planning, business plan creation, alternative marketing, and innovative production techniques. In addition, class participants have an opportunity to network with established farmers and utilize them as mentors. While in Farm Beginnings, the Jepsons learned how to set goals and analyze various enterprises for profitability. They also learned the basics of holistic management, which helps farm families look at their operations as a whole and determine how to attain goals centered around the environment, quality of life, and financial security. Today, the Jepsons, Ryan is 30 and Christine is 29, are transitioning a monoculture of brome grass on rented land into diverse stands of pasture grass. Throughout all these transitions, the Jepsons have continued to build a customer base for their meat, which is raised on certified organic pastures. Besides beef and a few hogs, they also sell humanely raised grass-fed veal. They are using managed rotational grazing to produce meat. They like this system of livestock production because it's low cost, produces a good product efficiently, and is easy on the highly erosive soils of northeast Iowa. Both Ryan and Christine still work off-farm jobs to make ends meet, but they feel confident that Farm Beginnings has equipped them to eventually make farming a full-time career. I visited the Jepsons recently on a bitterly cold winter afternoon. We checked out the livestock and the pole barn slash home they were completing construction of. Then we sat down and talked about what they learned from Farm Beginnings, what adjustments they've had to make since graduating from the class, and how some of the intangibles of producing food using sustainable methods keep them going. Ryan and Christine, you guys, are, you moved back out here um, from the west, and uh, and you're kind of getting geared up here. You, you got this old homestead, and you um, have built this really interesting barn-slash-house type setup. And you took Farm Beginnings just last year. I was, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, now that you're really getting into farming uh, and getting your, your feet on the ground, what are some of the things about Farm Beginnings that maybe have helped you uh, uh, are starting to come back to you a little bit maybe that now that you're, you're actually using what you learned in the classroom? I think uh, we're spending a lot more time uh, remembering things that we, we should have done ahead of time in Farm Beginnings. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the planning and a lot of refocusing and that sort of thing is um, really critical at this point. We're having to make a lot of decisions about what we want to do uh, professionally together and how to break down our roles in the business. And um, you can do all that hypothetically in Farm Beginnings, but you really have to go back and do it once you know what your realities are. Yeah. Can you give me an example of what, what's really some realities that have really struck home? 
Um, well, going right back to the holistic um, holistic management and whole goal visioning process, um, just in building bu- building a barn, you know, you compromise so many different things, buying materials you don't think are the least toxic, or these different things, and you kind of have you need something to hit hit that against, and we really need to go back and kind of revise our holistic goals so that we have something that we know we can rely on. Yeah. Write it down. The, the the whole process of you need to write things down because uh, I think that helps drive it home. All the people that teach these classes talk about that, the writing. Um, there's something about that action. Um, I also think the financial planning of, of uh, a farm beginnings was super valuable and we did that last winter doing budget enterprises and we were continuing to do that this year again um all the tools that they teach each, each week you you come back to whether it be a month or a year or 10 years later and, and you pull those skills out and apply them to your farm and it's incredibly helpful yeah one thing that i was impressed with with talking uh, to ryan earlier was you guys don't seem to be stuck on one particular enterprise that you're going to have on this farm, you kind of see this uh, this land here as a source of many enterprises, and in, in the natural you're willing to take advantage of the natural resources and the kind of the human resources that are in the, in the area here. Could you talk a little bit about that? I was really impressed with that. You're just not you're not stuck on we're going to raise beef cattle and only beef cattle type of thing, but you, you're willing to be a little bit flexible about that. I think that's just the nature of our community here. There are a lot of people who are doing different things and um, a lot of people around us who've expressed interest in different products. Uh, We hear different things in different parts of the year. Um, And it's always something to entertain. When you're starting out, you just kind of run the the numbers on several different things and think about that possibility and kind of fit the opportunities together as you go along. And it's hard when you have, you know, a big investment looming ahead of you like a, a, a... Cows. (laughs) Cows. <laughs> yeah. Cows in a house. Cows in a house, but um, but there's still room for smaller enterprises and for trying different things. And, you know, last year we raised just a few chickens, but they were immensely popular and it endeared a lot of people to our farm in ways that they wouldn't have if they were buying strictly beef or something else. So, I don't know. It's I, it's kind of exciting. It's always it's fun to take on a new challenge, and we both kind of like that. We trend toward that, so maybe we need to be better at buckling down on it <laughs> and latching on to bigger projects. But trying new things, it's not difficult. And I, uh, some people that we look up to have, you know, Chris Blanchard. Again, I referred to him a lot, but he he said one of the most important decisions is eliminating enterprises that are not profitable that is more important uh, because that frees up your time to focus on the profitable enterprises and you don't know which ones are truly profitable and how profitable they are or how unprofitable they are until you do a budget enterprise and that's you know this kind of a tangent on being open-minded about your opportunities but you do need to look at your the possibilities that your land has and uh, so that's that's one of them. And then the whole marketing concept of if you can sell one product to one person, it's easier to sell them two or three or four products than it is to go out and find four more customers. So that's part of the driving force behind our openness on top of the fact that we find it enjoyable to not just do the same thing every single day. 
Well, speaking of marketing, the other thing that that struck me was you were talking about how uh, what really makes you passionate about this and, and what makes you put up with getting up at four in the morning and doing chores in the cold and in the dark and all that is is getting that feedback from the customers and realizing you're feeding people who are enjoying this top quality product and also some of the other side benefits such as Ryan had talked a little bit before about uh the idea that through this type of farming you're reducing your carbon uh, print, that type of thing. Uh, you know, maybe talk a little bit about those kind of those uh, those things that maybe aren't going to go on the bottom line directly, but uh, it, it makes it, I guess, worth putting up with some of the some of the hard work and, and the effort. Um, yeah, the intangibles are really what make it <clears throat> what make it worth it, and and we sometimes will go you know months without having a big some kind of significant feedback um, but that's that is really valuable farmers market is good for that in the summer you talk to a lot of people who are, have questions who uh, have different types of dietary concerns or are just interested because they've been reading they've been doing a lot of their own reading um, but it, you know it's really gratifying when your parents become really interested in what you're doing and they're really proud to serve your products to their good friends and um, it just goes on and on and I I I don't know how the commodity farmer would really get that same gratification. That's really um, that's really important to what we do. And sometimes it's the reviving factor when you're drudgery, drudgery, and then suddenly you get this great email from um, a customer who served your veal at a dinner party to you know a half dozen internationally known actors <clears throat> who loved it. And it's just one of those things that they're proud about that makes you proud, and it. It spirals back. And then just the, the way in which the land and the place that you tend and the animals you tend, how they, they recharge you too just by the look in their eye, um, their contentedness. I mean, the fact that they're, they're, they're steam rolling off their back on a cold winter morning as they're sitting there chewing their cud, that you've done a, a job well done. Um, and something as simple as that, you know, or, um, you know, seeing things grow well, um, where there's been just kind of dying brome grass for 10 years that you're turning it into a lush green pasture and, and your soil tests show that you've improved the soil. There's a lot of gratification in, in those simple things as well. So one final question. I was wondering if you guys uh, kind of, I know you're just getting started here and everything, but part of farm beginnings is setting goals and all that. Looking, I don't know, five years 10 years down the road where you guys where do you guys see uh, the operation and see yourselves have, have you thought about that and talked about that we wrestle with that every single day <laughs> um i think i think i would i personally would like to trend more toward being able to um um, use the farm to develop a lot of education opportunities, um, different sense of place type things where people can come and learn more about um, the biology of grass finishing or the biology of, of what's here in northeast Iowa. It's a part of the country people mostly, unless they live nearby, aren't familiar with. There's just a lot of room for education, and that's a big component of what it takes to market and direct market food. So having that available and developed as a sort of ongoing curriculum, I think, would be profitable. Yeah, because you like, you're an educator. I mean, it's, in your, it's something that provides you, and I think there's education is key to alternative farming, is educating the consumer. It's one of the things I daydream about is, is not having to market my product so vigorously that I can... Um, I'd like to see in, in the long term that I, I can use my energy spent on some other things that intrigue me more and, and have some sort of economic stability, not a, you know, a, 
100% guarantee, but some stable markets um, for the alternative farmer. And uh, I daydream about 20, 30 years from now, uh, passing the farm on to my kids or our kids. And uh, that's huge for, I mean, that's part of the reason we do what we do. Now a little treat before we wrap up this episode. Hearing the Jepsons talk about how improving and protecting the soil was an important motivation for them reminded me of a traveling slideshow and sing-along program Brett Hesla did for the Land Stewardship Project several years ago. Called Music of the Land, it injected a little culture back into agriculture and emphasized the importance of not treating our soil like dirt. Brett recently sent me one of the songs he composed and performed for that program. I think it's a nice reminder of why what stewardship farmers like the Jepsons are doing is so critical and why some of the most important things in life don't have a monetary price tag attached. I had a dream last night I want to tell you about. If it gets a little heavy, hope you don't walk out. You see, death came knocking on my door, so I went to be with loved ones who've gone before. Yes, I dreamed I died, went to heaven's gate. I didn't see St. Peter, so I had to wait, thinking over my life what I would change when I noticed that this paradise was mighty strange. No pearly gates, no golden urns, just a lot of little roots and a whole lot of worms. Then I realized this wasn't heaven or hell. I just died, and they put my body back in the soil. I began to rot and disappear, and I thought to myself, there's nothing to fear. I'm just falling apart into the land I love, giving life to the plants that are growing above. I went back to the land, back in the ground. I went to little pieces in a total breakdown. I was a part of the soil, a part of the earth, a part of the mother of my birth. I heard a pounding noise. And a stake came down And I heard a voice say I own this ground And I yelled back You're full of it pal You're full of little pieces That came out of the soil And pieces of air And water too That traveled through the plants Until they came into you By way of the spinach The carrots The cows They entered your body From your hand to your mouth It's just like cheese Seattle said The land don't belong to us We belong to it It gives us life It makes us strong It's where we'll all be buried When the circle turns round I would have kept talking, I was on a roll But the wind came whipping up and started to blow Or it might have been the rain, I'm not sure which it was It carried about a third of me into the ditch Then a part of me was sold for cash and used as a dump For trash, and I wondered if the rest of me, like as not Would be permanently covered with a parking lot A parking lot I woke up a little short of breath. Could it be because I was afraid of death? Yes, I was a little scared and mighty glad. This was not reality. It was a dream I had. Life could be a dream. Death could be swell. It's up to human beings if it's heaven or hell. So let's tell the truth until it hurts. We've got to stop treating the soil like dirt. We've got to stop treating the soil like dirt. We've got to stop treating the soil like dirt. You see, it's not my problem. It's not my land. There isn't any blood or mud on these two hands. That's right, you say. Erosion is a shame. Now, excuse me while I watch another football game. A football game. Fine, just remember next time soil's blowing around. That might be my grandma or your best friend's mom or you. 
Might wonder if it's a part of your pedigree that's making a drift. Filling up ditches, filling up streams, make Louisiana bigger while the heartland shrinks. The soil gets thin, the land paved under. We're losing all our relatives and left with hunger. Can we really survive? Yes, just say no to the two big problems. One is war. You ask what the other problem is, my friend. The answer to that is blowing in the wind, in the wind, in the wind, in the wind. For more on the Jepsons operation, see their website at www.grassrunfarm.com. That's grassrunfarm.com. You can also read a land stewardship letter profile of the Jepsons at www.farmbeginnings.org. That's farmbeginnings.org. It's in the Meet Our Graduates section. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member you'd like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.